Hi there, I'm Jen Hale Christie, and you're listening to Preacher. This podcast is designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. Quick note before we jump in, if you haven't already done so, I encourage you to check out and join our Patreon community. Shout out to Sheila, who just joined. This is an awesome way to join me and others in this good work. Whether you want to support women preachers and make sure that this work continues and continues to be available freely to everyone anywhere with access to a podcast service, Um, Or if you want to partner with me and actually have direct input into um, the direction of the show, there are opportunities for you to engage at whatever level feels good for you. So click the link in the show notes and let me know what you think. Today's guest preacher is my friend Kelly Edmiston, and I strongly encourage you to hang around afterwards for our awesome interview. Now let's hear a word. Would you please stand up for the reading of the scripture? Today's scripture reading is taken from the Gospel, St. Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, bringing the fragrant spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know what to make of this. Suddenly, Two men were standing beside them in gleaming bright clothing. The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here, but has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. When they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. Their words struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe the women. But Peter ran to the tomb. When he went, bent over to, to look inside, he saw only the linen cloth. Then he returned home wondering what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you, Daisy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kelly Edmiston. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you, I am the youth pastor here as of about two and a half months ago. So I... I was not expecting an applause, but that's awesome. Um, I love it. I love being here. I love our kiddos. They tried to leave and go up to youth group to try to get out of here, but I was like, no, 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 we're staying in service this week. So they're super excited about that. We are at the very end. I want to point out that the Rosenthal's are here front and center. So if Joe tries to get up and walk off, he can't. Okay. Yeah. Joe has a hard time sitting still. So we're really happy to welcome him to the service. We love the Rosenthal's so much. We are at the very end of our series um, called The Kingdom And. And so we've been asking the question, what does the fact that the kingdom has come in Christ mean for all these different topics? So what does it mean for missions, like last week? What does it mean for children? What does it mean for peace? And this week, the title of the message is The Kingdom And Women. Now, isn't that kind of typical that they would give the sermon on kingdom and women to the new woman on staff? It's kind of mean, right? 
I'm just kidding. I volunteered for it. But I am excited to be here with you in this text, particularly looking at how do we as a church live faithfully in the kingdom of God when it comes to women. And you may know that this message is really important to me. Like it matters to me a lot. I have been a woman in ministry for the past 13 years. And my first assignment in ministry was in Cairo, Egypt. And I was the youth pastor there at an international church called Mahdi Community Church. And like many international congregations, they were not asking the question about women in ministry or women in leadership or women in the kingdom of God. It was just like, if you're called, you're called. If you're anointed, you're anointed. And so I was able to walk into kind of the fullness of what I believed God had called me to do, gifted me to do, and I was expected to do so. I was affirmed in those gifts. You know, in the international community, there's not, if you're following Christian news lately, there's no John MacArthur's yelling at Beth Moore's to go home. It's just not a thing. It's not a conversation. And so when I came back to the States in 2009, my husband and I had met and we moved back to Houston because that's where his job was. And I started looking for jobs in youth ministry and I had a number of different opportunities, but I ended up taking a job at a Christian school where I served as the campus minister. So part of my responsibilities was to plan chapel, you know? And so I go into my first chapel planning meeting and man i'm i'm jazzed i'm excited like i've been doing ministry for three whole years i really know what i'm doing i'm bringing it all to the table in kelly style being loud the whole nine yards and i have two other male colleagues who are planning chapel with me so we go into the classroom and i'm like okay guys you know let's pray so i'm going to start the meeting with a prayer so i start into my prayer And one of the gentlemen who is there with me says to me, oh, no, no, you can't pray in here. And I said, in here? Like inside? Like in this room? Is someone listening? What do you mean in here? I was very confused. And he went on to explain to me that because I was a woman, I couldn't pray in front of him, a man, because I would be holding spiritual authority over him. And he went on to explain to me the scriptures that reinforce this idea. And I was just dumbfounded. I mean, I thought he was joking. I quickly realized he wasn't joking. And I ran out to the parking lot, got into my car, drove away and never came back. Not, not really. I didn't do that. <laughs> but I did get into my car because it was the only safe place. And I wept. I lost it. And I wept because it was the first time in my adult life that anyone had told me what I could or couldn't do because of my gender. Like I'd never been told overtly that you can or you can't, that you're allowed or you're not allowed because you're a woman. And so I just wept. I didn't make it in that job for very long, as you can probably imagine. The next 10 years of my ministry life, in a new context, I still learned what I was allowed to do and not allowed to do because of my gender. Different tasks, same rules. And so this message really matters to me. It really matters to me because as I shared, I've been in youth ministry for 13 years and I've led young women 
all of whom are asking, who am I and where do I belong in the world? So it matters to me that I have answers for them. Add on top of that, this message matters to me because I had a daughter two years ago. And even in the early moments of learning that she was a she, I knew that the course of my life was going to change. The trajectory of my life was going to change. And my husband and I determined we would not raise her in an environment where her spiritual authority would tell her what she can and can't do because she's a girl. So it matters to me. And maybe it matters to you. Maybe you're a woman who has been the victim of discrimination or sexism. Maybe you're married to a woman who that's part of her story. Maybe you're raising a woman. Maybe you're in relationship with a woman. And so maybe it matters to you too. Our text this morning that Daisy read is from Luke 24. And the story picks up right after Jesus has died on the cross And it's the story of these women. And the women in the story are Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joanna. Other gospel writers mention Salome. And we actually know from Luke that it was more than just these women. He says in verse 10 that there were other women. So we know it was at least these four. Maybe it was six. Maybe it was eight. Maybe it was 12. We don't know. But we do know that these women, this group of women, I will refer to them as the Marys and Joanna for the purpose of our passages from Luke. So the Marys and Joanna and the others, we know that they stayed with Jesus while he was on the cross until he breathed his last breath. And I want you to think about that because that's not what everybody did, right? Other apostles, other followers ran away to hide for fear of persecution. Others straight up rejected Jesus, abandoned him, I don't know him kind of stuff. But the women stayed close. The verbs in the Bible, in this text, let us know that the women waited and watched and followed as Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus, remember? And he asked for the body to be taken down and for the body, he wrapped it in linen and then Joseph took it to the tomb and the Bible tells us that the women followed close by like they're creepers, They're like watching where Jesus, which makes sense, right? Because how else would they have known where he was laid? The problem was they couldn't prepare the body for burial that day because it was the Sabbath. So the women go home to prepare the spices and the ointments for the battered body of Jesus. So they go home. Can't you just hear them? I imagine this group of women sitting around a table or sitting on the floor, and they are getting ready, right? So they're getting the spices ready, they're preparing the ointments, which is no small task, right? This is menial work, detailed work. And I imagine them telling stories, you know, with grief so tender, and they're talking about their friend Jesus, and they're, maybe they're disappointed. They're saying, oh, we thought he was the one. We thought he was the one. And maybe they're remembering, remember that time when Jesus said that funny thing or remember that miracle that Jesus performed and they're holding all these memories so close to their hearts. I wonder who else was there. 
Like, was Mary, the mother of Jesus, there? Were there other women from the community? Were they in someone's home? Were they in the synagogue where there would have been more space? We, we don't know. We don't know. We don't get to hear the story from their perspective. We do know that in the midst of this great and devastating loss, that the women keep moving. They move the storyline ahead. They don't stop they make a plan. Does this remind you of any women in your life? Like I know so many women like this. It's like the world's crashing down, but we're going to make a casserole. I mean, they just keep moving. One of my dear friends here at our church is Kim Chang. And in the midst of devastating loss, she shows up. She keeps moving. She makes a plan. She holds up everybody around her. And I imagine the women like this, the Marys and Joanna, they're getting it done, man. We know that this group of women come back to the tomb as soon as they're permitted to be on a journey. So we'll pick it up in chapter 24, verses one through four. Very early in the morning, we know that this literally means before dawn. So like before the sun comes up, on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, bringing the fragrant spices they had prepared They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They had come all this way, made all these preparations. The stone is rolled away, which we know from other gospel writers that they were kind of worried about this. Like, how are we going to move the stone? It's really heavy. But they show up to execute the plans that they have made. And the next thing they know, there's these young men in clothes glowing like fire. And they bow their faces to the ground. They're terrified. The angels say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here, but has been raised. Verse five and six. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. To me, in the story, this is the moment that's like the aha moment. Have you had one? You're like, aha where all of a sudden everything you thought was not true and with this new information, now everything makes sense. Have you been there? And you give somebody a look and you're like, aha, we get it. I imagine the women having a flashback. Maybe they see themselves sitting at the feet of Jesus in Galilee and they're remembering his words and they're like, oh, we get it. So what did they do? Did they jump up and down? Did they stay bowed down? Did they weep? Did one of them say, I told you so. We don't know. We don't hear the story from their perspective. But we know that Christ is not here, but has been raised. Now, at this point in the story, we know from every other gospel writer. So if you cross-reference this story with Matthew, Mark, and John, they all tell us that Jesus himself appears to the women... Jesus himself explains to them his resurrection. Jesus himself tells the women, go back and tell. Go back and tell the disciples. Go back and tell the others. And so they do. The Marys and Joanna go back. Can't you just hear him? They're like, guys, we went in. We saw the tomb. Jesus wasn't there. The angels came. It was awesome. They told their story from their perspective just as they experienced it. And the disciples didn't believe them. 
Chapter 24, verse 11 says, their words, the words of the women, struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe them. The Greek word for nonsense, I had some fun with this. Chapter 24, verse 11, it means idle talk, a tall tale. It means folly. It means, get this, gush. It's like gush, like it's so too much. It's nonsensical. The apostles and other Jesus followers in their lives are not only discrediting their story, they're calling them stupid. The women were the first to both witness and proclaim that Jesus has risen. My question to you, church, is why? Like, why go to all that trouble? Especially when Jesus would have known that the disciples are not going to believe them. They're a bunch of women. This would have been very strange, of course, because as you know, in this culture, this was a patriarchal culture. And so women were seen as property of their husbands and fathers, and men held all the power. All the power. And before Jesus comes on the scene, the Bible has a long history of discrediting and ignoring, even marginalizing and victimizing women before Jesus. Consider the woman from Judges 19. She is unnamed. Phyllis Tribal calls this one of the texts of terror because she is given over to a group of travelers by a Levite, supposed to be a holy man, and they rape her, torture her, and dismember her. Consider the Israelite women who, under the commandments of the law, were forced to live outside the camp when they were menstruating. My teenagers over here are like, I can't believe she just said menstruating from the stage. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. They had to live outside the community, unprotected, reminded every month that they were unclean because they were female. Consider Mary, the mother of Jesus, who though she bore Jesus in her own body, was not welcome into the inner court where God symbolically dwelt, but was forced to be on the outer court of women, far away from, marginalized from the presence of God, even though she was the first to bear God. So why does Jesus appear to the women first? It's kind of silly. Jesus comes on the scene and he knows all this history. And instead of behaving like a good Jewish boy, he elevates and values women. He even uses women in his teaching. Think about the woman who lost her coin from Luke 15. Jesus uses her as a picture for God and how God searches for God's people. Jesus invites women with their children to come and sit at his feet. Jesus meets with the woman at the well, the sinful woman, which would have been totally inappropriate, would have been normally the place where men solicit inappropriate services, and Jesus doesn't care. He meets with her, and he listens to her story. You see, Jesus is always behaving in countercultural and inappropriate ways with women, which makes the fact That Jesus appears first to the women, strangely, not all that strange. 
with Jesus appearing to the women first, we see this climax in this radical and transformative movement for the place of women in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is strategically making this move. It's like this turning point. Maybe it would have prepared the community of Jesus followers for the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit would come and the Marys and Joanna certainly would have been there and they all prophesied and they all spoke in tongues and they all brought what they had and shared with anyone who had need. This movement, so radical, the kingdom of God, this movement of women, moving women from the unnamed one to the empowered one. Moving her from property to profit, from outsider to insider, from no status to equal status. This trajectory so radical and so great in the scriptures that Paul will even say in Galatians that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor Galatians 3.28, male nor female. In the words of John Wimber, everybody gets to play. In the words of Jesus to the women, go and tell. Go and tell. So what then is the problem? What is the problem? If Jesus has elevated women to equal status, invited them to be full participants in the kingdom of God, like if only it were that easy, right? And I have to tell you that on Friday... Friday was the last day of school for my kids, seven, four, and two, for their school for, before Thanksgiving break. And I got a call on Friday from my seven-year-old school, who he will remain unnamed, but it's a seven-year-old. And it's the principal. And the principal's like, uh, Miss Edmiston, I want to let you know what happened at recess, because I think, I feel certain that you are not going to be happy with your son's behavior and words to his friends on the playground. And so I'm like preparing myself, you know, what did he do? And so she proceeds to tell me that he was playing soccer with a group of friends, you know, they're first graders, boys and girls, and one of the girls falls down during the game. And Mace, my seven-year-old, he proceeds to step on her foot and then declare to the entire playground that girls suck at soccer. (laughs) Come again? So, So I am losing it a little bit. (laughs) Like I'm losing it a lot. And so the principal's like, do you want to talk to Mason? I was like, yes, put him on the phone. So I'm like, I'll just say his name. I already blew it. I'm like, Mason, tell me what happened. So he tells me, and I'm like, Mason, do girls suck at soccer? Like, is that a thing? Do they really? And he's like, no. And I'm like, Do you know any girls who are like really, really good at soccer? Yes. And I said, like, who? And he goes on to tell me, well, you know, Sarah in my class. And I'm like, yeah, Sarah in your class. She's so good at soccer. She's a beast. She dominates all the boys. She was on our team. And I'm like, so no, sir. No, sir. 
That is not true. So I have all of this, right? And in our home, like, I'm freaking out because I'm like, where did he learn this? Like, Ben and I, it doesn't get more like women's equality, like women's lib, like, it doesn't get anymore. We don't use the word suck. And we definitely have not ever referred to one gender being better at anything than another gender. Like, he did not learn this from us. His mother has been in ministry, leadership. I'm just like, when it comes to our theology, we don't get any more egalitarian, which means that women serve in all levels of leadership. It just doesn't get any more than that. So I'm holding all of this and trying not to totally freak out. But I tell you this to say that even in households where the theology is for mutuality and for equality, that sexism it's just pervasive. This idea that women are somehow less than. It's just pervasive. It's just the undercurrent, even in homes or in churches who don't believe that. There seems to be this disconnect, right? Between our thinking and our doing. Certainly in my own house. Major disconnect with my seven-year-old. And in churches, there can be a disconnect between our theology and our practice. Now, a quick disclaimer here. In our church, if you don't know, we are egalitarian. And Bert Wagner led our movement into that years ago. And I honor him for that. And Reagan has prioritized that in welcoming the voices of women. And we honor them for that, yes. But there's still, yeah. That has not been without cost, by the way. That hasn't been free. That has not been without cost. And yet, even in egalitarian contexts, in homes where we're trying to give an equal message, there's still a disconnect. And so I want to point out, as I close, three problems. Three problems that emerge from the text and make a contemporary application for us. The first one is this, that sometimes the witness of women, even in egalitarian contexts, is seen as not credible. The women were accused of speaking nonsense, Leros. Peter was curious enough, if you remember from the story, that he runs to the text, or runs to the tomb, comes back to the group, confirms that the story is true, and then they what? They believe it. From the mouth of a woman, folly. From the mouth of a man, truth. Discrediting women for the truths that they tell still happens today. You may be familiar with the sexual misconduct scandals over the past couple of years regarding Willow Creek Community Church. Bill Hybels was accused over the course of four decades of inappropriate behavior with women. These stories were ignored. They were covered up. The, woman, the women were silenced, bullied into being silent. Vonda Dyer was one of the first victims who publicly accused him. And this is what she says. This is after all of the investigation and and Heibel's guilt has come out. And this is what she says. That she was grateful for the report's conclusion that she and others who came forward were credible. And that it marked the beginning of identifying what happened at Willow Creek and learning from it. She was grateful that her story... And the stories of dozens of women was finally considered credible. That they finally believed them. 
I want to share with you a quote. It's from a book called Saved from Silence, and it talks about this dynamic of power and control in relationships. It says, the control of power in relationships affects the voice and silence of each group within a system. One in power easily assumes the right to speak. Others are denied that right or must seek permission in order to be heard. In some cases, even when an oppressed voice speaks, especially without the permission of the powerful, that voice is ineffective because the powerful cannot bear to hear it. Thus, the struggle for voice is not only a struggle to speak, but also a search for an audience to listen. Women today are still searching for an audience to listen. And I want to say to any woman here today who has been dismissed or ignored, especially in the cases of victimization, I will speak for our church staff and say, we will be your audience to listen. We will listen to you. We won't discredit you. We won't ignore you. We'll listen. When someone is telling their story, I invite you this week, church, especially a woman, to lean over and to listen, to invite her to say more. Tell me more about that. I use that with the kids all the time. Like, say more. What else do you have to say? Don't hurry her. Don't dismiss her, but listen. That's a way this week that we can live faithfully in the kingdom of God is listen to the women in your lives. Listen to the stories they tell. Ask them, hey, how do you see this? How does this feel to you? Because she's searching for an audience to listen. Let her find that in you this week. The second problem from the text that has a contemporary application is in the unnaming of women. I shared at the beginning that we don't know who all was at the tomb. And I just think that's so sad. Like the first witnesses to the resurrection, we don't even know their names. Luke actually doesn't even name them until verse 10. Refers to them generically as the women. And like the woman from Judges 19, 19, when we don't name someone, we make them less than human. And we do this today. We do this in lots of ways. Most damaging, perhaps, we unname women as we objectify them sexually. Think about the multi-million dollar pornography industry. I don't have to explain that to you. But we objectify her, and in the church, I have found that we operate on two extremes of objectification. So on one extreme, we tell women, well, your shorts are too short or your blouse is too low, and we shame her for her sexuality. And on the other extreme, we worship the image of her sexuality on the other side of a computer screen. And in both extremes, we're objectifying her. And the solution to that is to name her. She's more than a body. She's not an object. We objectify women in more ways than just pornography consumption. We contribute to this unnaming as we engage in sexist jokes as we insist on traditional gender roles for women as God's way, as we shame women who don't want to have children or who want to work outside the home, we unname her. And something we can do this week when we are tempted to objectify a woman, either sexually or as a role or as a title, you can name her. You can open your eyes and see her. She has a name. Look her in the eyes and see her. She has a name. The third problem is this. The Marys and Joannas perspective 
is not told from the text. Like we don't know their story. (laughs) So I had a really hard time with this point. I had a really hard time with this sermon. But when I sat down to write it, I had about 18 pages. (laughs) 18 pages of notes, just like a brain dump. And I took those 18 pages into my time with God. And God led me to tell their story. So I did the best with what I could to tell their story with what I saw in the 11 verses where they are present. Luke's account gives us 11 verses. And as I got to the end of chapter 24 in Luke, I began to weep. This is a lot of me weeping in this sermon. I was weeping as I searched frantically for them in the rest of the text. When Jesus appeared to the followers, when Jesus showed them his hands and his feet, were they there? When Jesus explained the resurrection starting from Moses, were they there? When Jesus led them outside the city and was lifted up and he commissioned them and they all worshiped, were were the Marys and Joanna, were they there? And it ripped my heart open that I didn't know. And I was angry and I was sad after all they had done, after all they had sacrificed, after all of their faith, after all of their obedience. Were they included? Were they welcomed? Were they thanked? Did the disciples ever apologize and say, we're sorry, we didn't hear you and we didn't see you? And so I wept over the pages of my Bible. And I said to God, I said, I can't tell their story. Like, they're barely present in a story where they should be the leading characters. I can't hear them. I can't see them. I don't know what it's like to be them. I'm telling God. And God says, so gently, God says, yeah, you do. You do. You know what it's like to be left out of the story because of your gender. You know what it's like to be not seen, not included. You know what it's like to miss out on the big moments while you're being faithful in all the small ones. God said, yeah, Kelly, you know what it's like. You know what it's like to be discredited, to, told, to be told that you were a silly woman too much. God said, you know what it's like, and so do I. So to our church here, the beautiful egalitarian church that we are, I say, and to all the communities of faith everywhere, I say, to the Bill Hybels and the John MacArthur's and the skeptical disciples. As a woman, I ask symbolically for all the women that the stories that I hold, I ask the church, will you let me tell my story from my perspective and just as I have experienced it? Will you welcome us women? Will you lean over and try to see what we see? Will you name us as your sister 
and your friend? Will you apologize when you hurt us? Will you invite us as equal participants and witnesses to all of who God is, to the community of faith that we love so deeply? Let's pray. God, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships, and in our neighborhoods. Let your kingdom come. In Christ's name we pray. Kelly Edmiston, thank you so much for being here. I just have a quick explanation for any of you who are wondering about this phenomenal sermon you just heard preached live in the midst of a gathered community. Because typically this podcast features original sermons by women written and delivered just for the podcast. But there are instances like this one where a sermon preached by a woman elsewhere is just so important to be heard and so divinely matched to the vision of this podcast that We give ourselves some wiggle room and we go ahead and include it. And I am 100% sure that our listeners agree and are so glad we did. Now, Kelly, in your sermon, you shared where you've been and where you are now and what you're up to. So we're just going to get right to it. Awesome. First of all, thank you. Thank you for taking the women with you into your time with God and for being open to how God might lead you in this sermon. Thank you for taking us into your time with God and being open to what God might have you say. And thank you for being so vulnerable. As you mentioned in your sermon, bold steps of courage come with a price and yours is no exception. Would it be fair to say that the preparation and incubation and delivery of your sermon was at times painful? Yes, definitely. Very painful. And and I really like that language that you're using about sort of the delivery and even the incubation, because it really did feel like sort of a giving birth, you know, like it was very painful, lots of tears, lots of kind of self-talk and self-doubt and yeah, labor of love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What, can you say more about the, about the self-doubt? Yeah. So a big sort of message that I had to fight was the, the sort of the lie that this doesn't matter. And so I, I had to, that was where the doubt came in. I kept, I kept sort of having to convince myself, this matters, your voice matters, the way that you uniquely want to preach this matters. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a big part of the doubt. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Do you have a sense of how this sermon has been received? Yeah, everything that I've heard um, in my church has been really positive. You know, people saying, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being vulnerable. I had a couple of comments from some men who indicated that this was an important message for them to hear in knowing how to love their wives better. And so I think particularly the part about, you know, listening to the women in your life, you know, not hurrying them or dismissing them. (laughs) Uh, I had a couple of husbands sort of refer to that part. And so, yeah, I think it was helpful. I think, I hope that there was enough practical sort of application to it, that it was helpful for people who even, 
maybe theologically they they've arrived there so they can get on board with yeah the equality of women and the kingdom of god but how that plays out in their everyday life is still sort of maybe the tension that they live in so i think i think it was helpful anything i've heard from anybody in my community has been positive good which i wasn't expecting <laughs> really yeah yeah i was i was thinking that i would receive a little bit more pushback um but again, I think in my church, like, so we're fully egalitarian. And so women have been leading and serving in all levels of leadership for years. And so in the vineyard, that is pretty much true across the board and has been for years. Um, in fact, the, the man who sort of led our denomination into that is a member of our church. And so he's sitting in the audience wow. as I'm preaching this sermon. And so that was very powerful. And I think at one point in the message, people applauded him, you know, because I said something about, you know, I honored him for that sacrifice. And then our current lead pastor makes it, I mean, it's just a, it's a top priority for him to have women who are leading, women who are preaching. He wants a diverse um, group of voices who are you know, in the pulpit. And so again, that, that has been with cost though. So, you know, even with when the vineyard made that move years ago, you know, there were church members that left and people who were uncomfortable with it. And, but they believed that that was where God was leading them. So. Yeah. 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 So some of my favorite moments in the sermon were when you talked about um, the value and the importance of credibility and um, even how often women are still denied that. Yeah. You talked about women today who are still searching for an audience to listen. And I was like, yes, that's what this podcast is all about. Yes. Um, providing not only, not just an audience, but I mean, a community and a, a um, willing ears ready to hear, hear a word from God in the voice of a, a woman. Yes. I love this sermon. Um, the first time I listened to it, I, I think I told you over email, I just cried and cried. Yeah. Um, and the second time I, I kind of knew what to expect. So um, I listened even more carefully to dig deeper into what had struck me so deeply. Um, and it was about um, the picture you painted of the women loving Jesus. And as it turns out, I have way too much to say about it. So <laughs> I'm saving all that for a, another episode, but I do want to thank you um, for shaking some things loose in me. Yeah. About that. So perhaps my favorite part was, um, where you talked about searching the text for the women, you know, this, mm -hmm. like, were they even there after everything they did? Were they included? Were they welcomed? Did those disciples ever apologize for not believing them? Yeah. And how do I tell their story when they're barely present? Um, I just, I loved that. Um, it was so real. Um, and the word that you heard from God in that saying, Kelly, you know, you are these women, you know what yeah. it's like to be left out of that story. Yeah. Oh, it just slayed me. Yeah. Um, so we know that that sermon, every time as preachers, the sermon works on us before it ever makes its way out of us. And so I'm wondering, you kind of hinted at this, but how has this sermon been working on you? How, how did it and how is it continuing to work on you? Yeah. Yeah. Such a, such a good question. And in every way, I mean, this sermon 
destroyed me. I mean, it, it literally took everything out of me. I would spend, you know, an hour working on it, trying to organize it, doing research for it. And I would, at the end of that hour, I would literally be physically exhausted. I, I, I just had, it was like, it took every resource out of me. I think for me, that was because it was so vulnerable Mm -hmm. and I've never been, I've never been invited to preach from vulnerability. And so that was a completely new experience for me. I'm in a new church. It's a new community. There's new theology and all that's good, but it's not easy. That's, it's still really, really hard because I'm so used to hiding Mm. who I really am, hiding what I really believe, trying to fit into sort of this box of, you know, other people's expectations, even in how I preach. And so in this sermon, it was very um, narrative, you know, most of it was, was sort of shaped in this, this narrative of the women. And, And that's not how I have been trained to preach. That's not, I mean, I don't hear a lot of men preaching that way. So that's never how I preached before because I didn't think that was right. You know, that was too feminine or that was too, but as it turns out, that is uniquely me. Like that, that resonates so deeply with who I really am. I've just never had access to that before. And so that was exhausting. I mean, even how I want to structure it, um, having the freedom to, to explore that and do that. Um, and then the message of, yeah, the women not being in the story. Um, you know, I was, I was driving in the car with one of my best, best friends who was in town visiting me. And she was asking me about this sermon. And I was telling her this sob story about, I have 18 pages and I have no idea what I want to say. And I don't know what direction I want to go in. Like, I have no clue. I really, I was telling her, I have no clue what direction I'm supposed to move in, in terms of, you know, pen to paper, getting this sermon ready to go. Yeah. And she was asking me some questions about it. And I began to tell her, about the women who were barely present in the text. And as I told her how upset that made me, I was telling her, I'm, you know, I'm angry about that. I'm angry at the Bible. I'm angry at God. It makes me so sad. And in the car, I'm driving. We're coming back from shopping. And I'm telling her this. And I, I just begin, again, I was already, I've been crying the whole time. But I just <laughs> completely, just, I'm weeping as I'm driving. And I'm telling her, you know, I was looking for the women and I got to the end. I was so angry at God and I was yelling at God. And so I just go through the whole thing. And after, after I go through a whole monologue, she, <laughs> she looks at me and she's like, Kelly, I think you found your sermon. <laughs> and and I, I told her in that moment, I was like, I can't tell that. I can't get up there and ball like a baby on stage. I can't do that. And so we spend the next couple of days sort of talking about this balance of like being vulnerable and being polished, being authentic, but not using the sermon as your therapy, you know, like, so she really helped me. She sort of coached me through that. She's a spiritual director, which helps, but she sort of coached me through, no, like you don't have to use it as your therapy, but you can bring your authentic voice in vulnerability and share with your congregation how this sermon has worked on you because this is your story. That's what she was telling me. This is your story. And she was right. So I think it worked on me in all those ways. And I love that it was crafted sort of in community too with another woman because she was able to bring out in me what I didn't have access to. So yeah, but it was painful, (laughs) (laughs) really painful, Mm -hmm. but good. 
Well, our time is about up. Um, but I just want to thank you again for sharing on behalf of this community, for sharing your gifts, for sharing your heart, for being so vulnerable, and for sharing your time. And truly witnessing you living freely and fully into God's community, bringing all of yourself into this work, it is such a blessing to me and to um, this community. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash jenhalechristie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at jenhalechristie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.